Well, good morning. Man, I hope you had a great Easter. We had a great Easter. Uh, it's always encouraging. Someone walked in this morning. I got to just share this. And uh, you know who you are. She just walked in this morning and she said, Dr. Ray, that was absolutely, I don't, I, didn't, I don't, well, maybe she's been here a long time and I didn't recognize her. I thought she was new. Um, but um, she said, I got to tell you, that, that is the best service that I've ever attended my entire life. And it's just great to hear positive things like that. Over 1,600 people almost came through our building last weekend and, and between us and our Hispanic ministry. And, and uh, then we had about 100 people, 96 people grab those books and Bible and indicate they made a decision. So it was just a great weekend. And uh, we're just glad you're back. Uh, we hope you're enjoying Palm Beach Community Church as much as we enjoy uh, this home, this spiritual home for us. And we're glad you came back as we're continuing this series with the life that you were meant to live. And I really believe, I really, 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 really believe um, that God wants us to live a better life. And that God wants us to live a life of purpose. God wants us to live a life with his resurrection power. But one thing, say it with me, one thing stands in the way. One thing stands in the way. After you accept the proof of the resurrection, after you believe the promise of eternal life, after you begin to count on his power, his resurrection power to help you live your life, one thing, say it with me, one thing stands in the way of you living the life that you were really meant to live. Now, what do you think that one thing is? What do you think is the one thing that's keeping you from a better life? Not the good life, but the better life, because better is better than good, right? Right? You've seen those AT&T commissioners. You know, better is, is better than good. So what's the one thing that's keeping you from God's best in your life? What's the one thing that's keeping you from a life of, of power and purpose? The life that God wants you to live. Now, let me tell you what it's not. It's not your pride. We all got that. It's not our anger or lust. It's not worry or fear or discouragement. In fact, I doubt if you'd ever think of it because it's so insidious that we don't even see it. We're not even, I think, aware of its destructive power and influence in our life and how it's keeping us from living the life that we were meant to live. Matter of fact, to be honest, I was kind of shocked as I was preparing for this message. I you know, did some research of my past messages, and, and for the last 35 years I've been teaching. Did I say 35 years? I'm only 34 years old. How could it be 30? 3.5 years I've been teaching God's Word I could not find one complete message dedicated to this theme. It was even insidious to me, you know. And I see it everywhere here in South Florida. I mean, I see that. I see it in, at the beach. I see it at South Beach. I see it at the shopping mall. I see it on TV. I see it even at our church almost every Sunday. I see it in our preschool playground. I see it in the boardroom. I see it in business every day. So what's the one thing, the one thing that's keeping us from the life that we were meant to live? Envy. Envy. I want what you have. 
Today in our culture, we're so fixated and obsessed with what others have that we don't live the life that God wants us to live. I mean, we're constantly comparing, coveting, copying, mimicking others. We're always looking on the other side of the fence, and it's greener, nicer, newer, prettier, more wonderful than our side of the fence. And we're always discontent and unhappy with ourselves. We want what we don't have. I want what I don't have. I want to be more like you. You know, I want to be thinner, you know, thinner wrist. I want to be, you know, smarter, richer, prettier. I want your clothes, and I want your house, and I want your boat. It's the greatest barrier that you probably never thought of that's keeping you from the life that you were meant to live. Now, God put it this way. In the 10th commandment, God said this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet or envy your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or his beamer or his jaguar or her Porsche or her Ferrari or what's the word? Anything that's your neighbor. Anything. I mean, it's pretty clear here, isn't it? I call it the curse. It's the, the curse of envy. And the curse of envy is universal. It's known in every culture since, since uh, Cain and Abel. You see it in every age group, even two-year-olds. Recently in our Discoveryland preschool, uh, we were able to purchase some new toys for the kids, and we have these uh, playhouses out back. And we have all these playhouses. Then we got a picture, and we get this new playhouse and all the kids wanted to play in was the new playhouse. Can you back up to the other picture, please? See that? Here's the playground. See all these playhouses? And they're all on that one playhouse. You know, and, and we're st our offices are up upstairs, you know, so wherever we get, you know, we look down and watch the kids and see how they're doing. And at first, you know, it really was quite entertaining. But then they began to fight for that new playhouse and not letting other people in. You know, it was their new house, you know. And then they became angry, and they started crying, and they were mad, and they were mean. Your kids can be very mean when they don't get what they want. Now, they're beautiful kids. They're nice kids, but they are mean, you know. It's, it's the curse of envy. Now, as we become an adult, we kind of hide our envy. That's why it's insidious to us. It's kind of hidden sin. You can't see it like adultery or addiction or murder, but it's just as damaging. Envy devalues people. It damages our relationship. But most of all, please get this, it makes us miserable. And it keeps us from living the life that God wants us to live. You see, envy denies my uniqueness. God has uniquely shaped each of us. And God doesn't make clones. King David said this, he said in the 139th Psalm, he says, You made all my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You see, envy denies my uniqueness. Every human being is unique. Even identical twins are unique. Everybody has a unique thumbprint, eye print, voice print, 
footprint, heartbeat. No one who has ever lived before you, no one who ever lived after you will be just like you. You are unique. And people say, you know, people are blind to love. No, I mean, they might be blind to lust. They're not blind to love, but they are blind to envy. I mean, we, it, we're blind to our own individual uniqueness, our own individual giftedness and abilities, and how God has uniquely shaped each one of us for a purpose and with a plan and with a destiny. You see, you need to be you or who's going to be you? I mean, if you're not you, then who's you? We need you to be you. God made you to be you. And if you're not you, you're not living the life that God has meant for you to live. You know, when you get to heaven, God's not going to ask and say, you know, why weren't you more like your brother? Why weren't you more like your sister? Or why weren't you more like your mother? Or why weren't you more like your father? God's going to ask you and hold you accountable and is going to say, why weren't you more like you? You see, envy... And we don't like to admit this, but envy really is rooted in our inadequacies. That's why we compare with others. We feel insecure. And so we compare to her or we compare to him. And then the more we compare, the more unhappy we are with ourselves. See, the truth is, every time you start envying someone else, you are insulting God. You're taking your little finger and you're pointing it at God and you're saying, God, you know what? You messed up. You screwed up. You didn't know what was best for me. You didn't know what you were doing, or you would have made me more like her with thinner wrists. You would have made me more like him with bigger muscles you know, or smarter brains. The Apostle Paul raised this question. It's a great question. Romans 9, he says, Who are you? Who are you? A mere human being to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, Dr. Ray, you don't understand. I, I have a disability. And the truth is, you know what? I don't understand. I haven't lived your life. I haven't lived in your shoes. I don't understand. But this thing I do understand. We all have disabilities. Some of us aren't in touch with them yet, but we all have disabilities. It could be a learning disability. It could be a physical disability. It could be an emotional disability. It could be a mental disability. It could be a relational disability. It could be a financial disability. Some of you got a lot of financial disabilities. Money comes and it goes as quick as it comes. You're just disabled when it comes to spending your money wisely and well, right? We're all disabled. We're all disabled. We're all broken people. But I would believe God would say to you, I have a unique life for you to live, and I want to give you the power to live it. I want you to be the best you you could possibly be. So quit comparing yourself and your circumstances with others. Quit doing it, because envy denies your uniqueness. Number two, envy divides my attention. I can spend so much time trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths, instead of focusing on the life that I was meant to live. I mean, isn't it fair to say as a culture we're kind of obsessed with envy and jealousy? I mean, I don't mean to offend you this morning, but most of TV today and the magazines that we buy, it's all about envying what someone else has. You know, glamour, vogue, people. They're really just envy magazines. 
I mean, that's what they're all about. I mean, do you really need to know about the Kardashians? I mean, just asking. I mean, do, do you really, you know? We're obsessed. Envy. And envy kind of divides our attention. We spend all our time focusing on others rather than on Christ and his mission and his purpose for our life, even with our disabilities. Jesus said this, anyone who lets himself be, what's the word? Distracted. Distracted from the work I plan for him or her is not fit for the kingdom of God. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. And it's not to envy the Kardashians. It's not. Now, guys, before you start pointing your finger, I'm seeing you looking over at your wives right now. So before you go there, listen to what Solomon said about why we work so hard. Solomon said this, Man, I've observed that most people are motivated to success because they what? They envy their neighbors. They want their neighbors' toys. They want their stuff. But this too, read it with me, can we? But this too is out loud, meaningless, like chasing the wind. You see, envy denies my uniqueness. It divides my attention. It's like chasing the wind. It's foolish. It's empty. And envy destroys my heart. I think that's why God dislikes envy so much. And that's why it's one of the big ten. Ten commandments. Because it destroys our heart. It's the root of every other sin is embedded in envy. Look at James 3.16. It says, for where, you, uh, for where you have envy and selfish ambition. Let me start over again. For where you have envy and selfish ambition. Let's just stop there. Leave that verse up if you would, guys. Um, ambition is not wrong. To want to be the biggest and the best at what you do, to be motivated, uh, to ambitious. Enough. Selfish ambition is wrong because that means you're willing to step on people, use people, take advantage of people. All you care about is yourself. That's wrong. Envy and selfish ambition, there you find what? Disorder, disruption, and every evil practice. Can envy cause a person to lie? Yes. Can envy cause a person to steal? Yes. That's the primary reason why people do steal. It's envy. Can envy cause a person to murder? Yes. Cain killed his brother Abel because of envy. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because of envy. You need to watch those brothers, okay? King Saul tried to kill David multiple times because of And Jesus was nailed to a cross because of envy. Matthew 27, 18 says, The religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy jealousy. You see, at the heart of the problem is our heart. Envy is a heart problem. And when your heart is green with envy, you are ripe for trouble. That's the curse of envy. Now let's look for the cure, the cure from envy. How can I get envy out of my heart so I can live the life I was meant to live. I hope you're sitting there right now, and I hope that's your desire right now. Man, I want to get envy out of my heart. I want to stop comparing. I want to stop moaning and complaining about my circumstances. I want to get envy and jealousy out of my heart. 
How do I do that? How do I rip it out? How do I eradicate envy from my heart? Well, we're going to look at a story Jesus told. If you've got a Bible, you can turn over there. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's a delightful story. It's a very controversial story. Many of you, as you read this story, you're not going to like this story. I'll just tell you straight up. And I think you're not going to like this story because Jesus is going to help us see our hearts. And he's going to kind of give us some principles here to help cure us from envy. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 20 with uh, verse, verse uh, 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner, who in many ways here is a picture of God, who went out early one morning to hire workers for the vineyard, probably around 6 o'clock in the morning. Back in those days, they worked from 6 to 6, you know, from sun up to sundown. So early in the morning, he's going out into his vineyard. He agrees to pay the normal daily wage, and he sends them out to work. See the picture here? He's going to give them, let's just say, 100 bucks. Days late, hey, guys, you want to come to work today? They said, yeah, I'd love to come to work today. I'll pay you what I normally pay you, what other people normally pay you for a day's labor, 100 bucks. So they, he, they agreed, great. Uh, he agreed to pay the normal way. All right, verse 3. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through. This is the, uh, the landowner again. He was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them telling them to, he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock, get this, in the afternoon, he was in town again and saw some people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. And that evening, evening's done. They came in at 5. They probably worked about 6, sundown. Evening's here now. He told the foreman to call the workers in, pay, uh, pay them, beginning with the last worker first. So the guy that came, the guy started working at 5 o'clock, pay them first. And when uh, those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage, 100 bucks. They worked an hour. They got 100 bucks. When those hired first came to get their pay, the ones that came in at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage, 100 bucks. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people only worked one hour, yet you pay them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat? He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage, 100 bucks? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous, envious, because I am kind to others? Four principles on how to eradicate envy from our heart, the cure from envy. Principle number one is this. Never, ever compare myself to others. Never compare. Never compare. Because comparing is at the root of envy. If you want to eradicate envy from your life, then you choose to stop comparing your life, your circumstances, your struggles, your assets with other people. Never compare. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage, 100 bucks. When those hired first came to get their pay, they what? They assumed 
they would receive more. Now, why did they assume they would receive more? Because they were doing what? They were comparing. They were watching. They were seeing what the other guys got paid. And so then they assumed they would get paid more. Never compare. The reason why we should not be comparing ourselves with others is because we're unique. We all have different stories. We all have different circumstances and different gifts in our lives. The Apostle Paul said this, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not, what's the word? Wise. The Greek word there is stupido. Stupido. Comparing leads to envy. Comparing leads to pride. Don't do it. I love this verse, Galatians 6, 4. It says, let everyone, let everyone be sure to do his very best. Do your best. For then he or she will have personal satisfaction of work done well. And won't need to compare himself with someone else. Isn't that a great verse? Just be the best you you can be. Just do the best job you can do. And that's all that matters. Quit comparing. Just do your best. Just do the best you can with what you have. Now, some of us don't have much. That's all right. Just do the best with what you have. Never compare. Principle number one. Principle number two. Celebrate God's goodness to others. Celebrate. Can you read that with me? Celebrate God's... Read it with me kind of like means read it along with me out loud. I could tell some of you were dozing off, see? You know? All right, so, or maybe we just don't like this one. I don't know. Maybe it's subtle. Uh, I'm not going to judge you. All right, number two. Let's read it together. Ready? Celebrate God's goodness to others. See, this is the positive side of eradicating envy from our hearts. I need to celebrate God's goodness in the lives of other people. When God blesses someone, I should be happy. I should be grateful for them. Paul, and I think it's Romans 12, 15, he says that we're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You remember that verse? I find that most people, that it's easier for us to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, when something bad happens to someone that you know and you love, man, you feel what? You feel bad. And when something good happens to someone you know and love, you feel what? Bad. Yeah, you know? You know, you resent it. You, you regret it. You're jealous. Why can't I have a vacation like that? Why can't I have a car like that? Why can't I live in a home like that? Why can't I live in that neighborhood? We're jealous. We're envious. And some of us are so jealous and envious that we blow out somebody else's candle so ours might shine a little brighter. And what Jesus is trying to teach us here in this parable is that our attitude uh, to make sure our attitude isn't like these ungrateful workers. Look at verse 12. Those people who worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Then look at verse 15. Jesus is asking, should you be, should you be jealous because I'm kind? gracious to others? Do you celebrate God's goodness to others? 
Maybe you find yourself single or maybe you find yourself single again and you get a wedding invitation in the mail. Do you celebrate that they found love? Or are you envious? Maybe you want a child. You get a birth announcement. Do you celebrate God's goodness in their life? Or are you envious? Now, have you noticed envy usually happens among those who are closest to us? Moms tend to envy other moms, and athletes tend to envy other athletes, and musicians envy other musicians, and employees envy other employees, and preachers envy other preachers. It's so insidious, and it negatively affects our relationships. We need to choose to celebrate God's goodness in other people's lives. You know, as a pastor, I find myself often uh, around people who make a lot more money than I do. And I just love celebrating their success. I just enjoy so much celebrating their success with them. They get a brand new Porsche Ferrari, bring it by, pick me up. Let's go for a ride. Let's see how fast it goes. You know, then I'll get out and you can pay the insurance and pay $1,000 for a tire, you know. I mean, I just love celebrating the successes of others. You got a nice boat, man, take me fishing, you know. And we'll catch a fish and I'll leave and you can clean them, you know. And what I found, that you will be happy and enjoy your life a whole lot more if you learn to celebrate other people's success. See, God's goodness is everywhere. We're just so preoccupied with ourselves and what we have and what we want. And then we live a miserable life. And if we will celebrate the success around us, we'll be happy all the time because God is blessing people all the time. And this leads to our third principle, number three. Be grateful for who I am and what I have. Now, can we all read that and say that together like we meet it already? Number three, be grateful for who I am and what I have. Some of you didn't say it, so we're going to do it again. You ready? Be grateful for who I am and what I have. I find people who envy others are depressed people. Have you noticed? They're they're kind of miserable because they're comparing their stuff, their circumstances all the time to others, which leads them to be what? Ungrateful. Ungrateful for who they are. Ungrateful for their circumstances. Ungrateful for what they have. You know, these workers, they should have been grateful. I mean, they made a day's wage. They had a chance to work, had a chance to get out and get some exercise, get some sun. But no, they were too busy comparing and complaining, comparing themselves to others. Look at verse 13. Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? We had a deal. You were very content and very happy to make 100 bucks. You see, everything we have is a gift from a gracious, loving God. And you need to be grateful for it. Don't let envy rob your joy. Paul put it this way. What do you have that God hasn't given you? We have so much. Each and every single person in this room is so blessed. 
You see, envy is built upon this myth that I must have more in order to be happy. And we've talked about this before. This is the lie of South Florida. It is just an insidious lie. And you see people, they chase it and they get it and they're happy for a day and the next day they're not. The truth is, you're about as happy as you choose to be. That's the truth. Happiness is a choice you make. And you're about as happy as you choose to be. If you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy with more. It's a lie that we believe that more is going to make me happier. One of the wealthiest cats of his day, kind of like Gates, Bill Gates of his day, is a guy by the name of King Solomon. He said this in Ecclesiastes. He says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Great advice from a guy that learned by experience. Learn to enjoy what you have. Be grateful for what you have rather than focusing on what you don't have. You see, contentment is a mark of spiritual maturity. I mean, it's very natural for us to be discontent. Look at a baby. Look at a kid. They're very discontent, and they cry a lot, and they complain a lot. But as you mature and as you grow and as you become more spiritually mature, you ought to be more content. And more content means when circumstances are beyond your control, you find God in it. That leads us to our fourth principle. Trust God when life seems unfair. Trust God when life seems unfair. You see, that's the message here behind the short story this morning, that life doesn't work out like you think it should. Trust God anyways. You see, you don't know what God's up to. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. You see, the bottom line, friends, is this. Envy is actually a battle with God. I mean, you don't want to hear this, but it's a battle with God. You're at war with God. Every time you're envious of others or complaining about your circumstances or unhappy with your life, you're basically saying, God, you blew it. God, you're not good. God, you're not faithful. God, you don't come through. I mean, God, if you were smarter, you would have made me look more like him or more like her. We're blaming God rather than trusting in God. And one of the sure ways you can tell in your life that you're blaming God is we're thinking the same thoughts as these workers. What were these workers thinking? What's the phrase that my kids used to love to say when they were young? That's right. It's not fair. It's not fair. And if you're going through your life thinking, it's not fair, it's not fair, that's the greatest evidence that you're blaming God, you're at war with God, there's jealousy and envy in your heart. It's not fair that they can afford a vacation like that. It's not fair that she gets a raise and I don't. It's not fair that I have to work all the time and they don't. Now, how did the landowner respond? Look at verse 14. What did he say? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. My interpretation, get a life. Stop your belly aching, get over it, and get on with your life. Stop complaining about what you don't have and start enjoying 
what you do have. Who says life is supposed to be fair? It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere. Who made it a rule that life is fair? It's not fair. We live in a broken world full of evil people that harm and want to hurt us and take advantage of us and rule us. It's not fair. Take your money and go. Shut up. Get a life. You see, at the root of envy is a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. You see, you see God more as a taker than as a giver. You don't believe that he has your best interests at heart. And he does. When tragedy and calamity hits your life, he wants to show up in an incredible way and help you and guide you and walk you through it if you'll trust him and run to him rather than resent him and blame him for the evil in your life. We live in a broken world. It's not God's fault. Rick Warren says this, Envy is the fever and doubting God, a lack of faith, is the disease. Envy is the fever, doubting God is the disease. For God so loved the world that he gave, read it with me, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a God who has given his one and only son, his most prized possession. What a God who has given and sent his son to a cross to die for your sins. Would that God want to make your life miserable? Absolutely not. He wants to give you the life you were meant to live. But one thing stands in the way. Envy. And envy simply is a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. I invite you this morning to quit fighting God. Quit being at war with God and put your faith and trust in him and see if you don't begin to live the life that you were meant to live. Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed in prayer, can you invite Christ into your life right now? Can you just pray something like this, your own words to yourself? God, I acknowledge my sins. God, I acknowledge this morning the sin of envy. I compare myself to others. I compare my circumstances to others. God, help me to put my trust in you. Help me to put my faith in you. Can you pray that this morning, Christ? I put my trust in you. Thank you for loving me and dying for my sins. Come into my life and change me. Make me more like you. And can you pray this morning? God, help me to stop comparing myself to others. God, help me to celebrate your goodness in the lives of my friends. God, help me to celebrate 
your goodness in their lives. Help me to be grateful for who I am and what I have. God, help me to trust you when life isn't fair because you love me and you want what's best for me. God, I thank you again this morning for the incredible God that you are. And somehow we get things all twisted and tainted and we lose the message of Scripture. We lose your heart. God, we thank you that you're a God, that you want what's best for us. Help us to trust you. Help us to love you. Help us to choose to move towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.